The reading is from 2 Corinthians, um, beginning at um, chapter 11, verse 16. I repeat, let no one take me for a fool, but if you do, then tolerate me just as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I am not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. You gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Aretas had the city of the Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. But God knows. Was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, and he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I will delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Lead to God. Thank you, Jenny. I think that almost deserves a round of applause because I gave a quite a long reading uh, this evening. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, it was hard to know quite where to, where to start 
where to end, uh, because uh, those of you who've been here in the evenings know that we have been looking through um, 2 Corinthians, and uh, in a couple of occasions over the last uh, few weeks, we've had quite big chunks, and uh, we've sort of chosen what to read, and um, I apologise, I chose quite a lot of that reading to read. Although I didn't read the very first verse um, of this passage, which um, I'll read it to you in a moment, but I'll tell you a story about it first. Um, when I first started working for a church, which um, is 21 years ago now, I turned up on the first uh, day I was working there, um, and it was a church I'd been a member of for eight years, so a bit like, a bit like Kate, I'd, I'd started working in this church I'd been a member of, and uh, so people knew me quite well. <laughs> and anyway, we um, would read a passage from the New Testament every day and a passage from the Psalms every day, and then we would pray. And we would read a verse each. Um, and I kid you not, this was the first verse I read, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I actually can't see it very well, uh, verse 1. I hope you will put up with me in a little <laughs> foolishness. Yes, please put up with me. That is the first reading I had to read as a member of staff in a church. And to be honest, it's continued to this day, hasn't it? Let's face it. I hope you will put up with me, yeah. Maybe you will, maybe you won't, who knows. Um, but a brilliant passage, loads in there. We're not going to be able to look at all of it this evening. We're going to look at, at parts of this passage this evening. Uh, but before we go any further, I think we need to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to uh, look at your word and to seek you. And um, Lord, we thank you for your grace that we see in this passage. Uh, may we know your grace. May we know your presence with us now. May we hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the other things we hear quite a lot of in this passage is boasting. Um, I don't know whether you're sort of sitting there going, all right, okay, I get it, Paul. <laughs> I get it. Like, oh my goodness, you've been through a lot. Do we need to hear all of it? But their sense of, of, of hearing a lot about boasting in this passage. But think about the boasting that we hear in the world around us. Boasting about, maybe boasting about how many A-levels we have or, or how fast we can run. That's not something I will boast about. Um, how much money we earn. Again, not something I will boast about. How fast our car is. Let's stop there. Um, all of the ways that we can boast. And we hear it, don't we? I mean, there's... I can think of that I'm considerably richer than you sketch, which is probably some of you just don't remember, which makes me feel really old. But there's some things like that, aren't there, that people boast about. And so we're going to think a bit about boasting this evening, um, because that seems to be quite a big part of this passage. But we need to understand why Paul says what he says. I always like to remind us that context is important, context um, of scripture, context context of the verses that we've read in the context of a bigger passage. Because if we look to the early part of chapter 11, which we didn't read this evening, Paul explains why he will go on to boast. And it's all because he's concerned for the Corinthian church. He's concerned that they're being deceived. He's concerned that being deceived by false teachers, or as he puts it, super apostles. I love that image, an apostle with a cape maybe, who knows? Um, and, and so when we get to verse 12, we're going to put this on the screen. Um, he says this, and I will keep on doing what I'm doing in order to cut the ground 
from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. For such people are false prophets, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising, then, if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. It's clear um, from this, the context of this passage that these super apostles have been boasting in a worldly way. They've been boasting in a way to try and deceive and win over the Corinthian church. Now, we don't know what that might have looked like, but maybe smoke and mirrors, maybe big stories that wow, maybe speaking in ways that pander to the world around, that sort of thing. So Paul takes matters into his own hands in order to explain to the Corinthians what is really important. And in this passage, we can learn what is important because sadly, in the church around us, we have seen all sorts of false teaching. We've seen those who've fallen from grace, those who have built big followings and have only fallen we can maybe all think of stories that we've read in, in papers, things we've seen on the TV, on the internet, on, on social media, about people who have done that. And I believe we can learn a lot about what is important from what Paul says to us in these verses. Because here Paul is boasting in a very different way from those false teachers and the way they have been boasting. He's saying, if I have to boast, which I know isn't really a good thing to do. Let me show you what I've been through. <laughs> Let me show you what I've been through for the sake of Jesus. He's saying, I love this really, he's saying, yes, I know others boast, but I can boast better. <laughs> That's basically what it feels like he's saying, isn't it? Yes, they're Hebrews. They too serve Christ, but I've done it more than anyone else. I'm better than anyone else. Maybe that's not true. That might be a bit unfair. I've got myself into more problems than anyone else, though, hasn't he? I mean, the list of things that Paul has been through, I mean, that, that is like serious amount of stuff that he's had to face. But he says, I'm doing it for the right reasons. Not only that, he says, but I'm also aware of all the churches I've planted, and I have concerns for them as well. So you can all boast, <laughs> but I win at boasting. That's what it feels like he's saying. Because on the surface, as we read this and we see the list of ways that, that Paul has suffered, the, the shipwrecks, the prisons, the beatings, the danger, the 39, well, 40 minus 1, which in my book is 39 lashes. I've always wondered about that. All those things that he has been through. And maybe we think, oh, Paul, just be quiet. <laughs> Yes, you've had a hard life. Yes, you've served the Lord. But why are you going on about it? Well, of course, with Paul, there's always a reason. There's always a reason. Not only, as we've already thought about, is it because he's aware of the false teachers around, he's also go doing it to show his readers, which of course involves us, that he's boasting in this way because of Jesus. It's not to be recognized. It's not to have a following. 
but because of Jesus and encouraging people to follow Jesus. And so what I want to do this evening, uh, relatively briefly, and I'll explain why in a bit, is I want to focus particularly on the verses that we read from chapter 12. But it's also helpful, isn't it, to have that context of a passage. Hence, we read those verses from chapter 11. And so if we turn to chapter 12, what we discover in chapter 12 is Paul is talking about himself. I don't know whether you heard those verses and he talks about a third heaven or whatever it says and and, and I know this man. And maybe you're thinking, well, who's he talking about there? Well, he's talking about himself. He's the one who was caught up to the third heaven as he describes it. Because if we look back over scripture and look into Acts particularly, we discover that Paul had various visions, various revelations, obviously starting with his own conversion on the road to Damascus. He also received visions leading him in his ministry. And then in Galatians 1, uh, Paul claims that he received the gospel he preached through revelation from the Lord. So Paul is speaking about himself here, but he's not talking about his conversion. And we know that because he dates his revelation, interestingly, 14 years, 14 years before, which is after his conversion as we look back through time. And also, he describes himself here as being in Christ, which means that Paul was already a Christian at this moment. So what he's doing is moving from boasting about the bad treatment he's had because of his faith in ministry to the fact that he's heard directly from God. And he's not doing it to gain any recognition. He says it himself, there's nothing to be gained here. He's doing it so they can boast about what he has seen of God. He's boasting in Christ. And actually, when we think about those times when we have um, maybe heard God speak to us clearly or we've, we've had a revelation or someone has said something or we've sung something and God has really spoken to us, we want to share it, don't we? That's the sort of thing that is it's good to boast about. He's boasting in Christ. But it's interesting what he says he's boasting about, apart from those revelations. As he says in this verse, he says he's boasting about his weaknesses. And actually, when we look at this passage, that is the most important thing for Paul. In some ways, it's as if he's been forced to boast about his spiritual experience. What he really wants to talk about is his weaknesses. Now let's just think about that for a moment. Have any of you ever really boasted about your weaknesses? Really? Not in a sort of false humility way? Have any of us really ever boasted about our weaknesses? Surely we're more likely, if we're going to boast, we're more likely to boast about an accomplishment or a gift we have. Or, as I say, maybe it's when we have that false humility where we play our gifts down, uh, which in a weird way then draws attention to them, doesn't it? I don't know whether you've ever thought about that in that sort of false humility way. Oh, I'm not really very good at that. And then everyone goes, yes, you are, like fishing for compliments. I don't think I've ever really, though, boasted about my weaknesses. But 
surely he's doing just that and he's doing so so that people don't think of him as any more important than anyone else. And of course, he's wanting to make sure that people don't think he's more important than Jesus. It may well be that those who had been causing problems had been boasting about their spiritual experiences. Look at us. Look at what we have experienced. And so we see here a leader who who recognises the danger of boasting about things he's done, what he's heard from God. He recognises that it is all about Jesus. And I have to say that is a good thing to look for in a leader. It's a good thing to look for um, for those who are less about self-promotion but more about who they are promoting. That is really key in who we are looking for in a leader. And it's also a good reminder for us all that we don't need to look at what others experience and feel jealous about it. Because what someone else has experienced doesn't make them a better person than you. Actually, what makes us better people is how we respond. But there is, of course, more to it than that, because what Paul is talking about here is this thorn in the flesh. It's a phrase that we may have heard a number of times uh, that we hear in this passage, this thorn in the flesh given to him. So let's look very briefly at that thorn in the flesh. Let's look at what. Now, what is this thorn in the flesh? Wouldn't I like to know? Wouldn't you? Yeah? Sorry, I can't give you any definitive answer on what the thorn in the flesh is because we don't really know. Paul doesn't say. You know, there's been loads and loads of discussions and probably reams of paper uh, used to try and work it out. But it's mostly agreed now that it is something physical because Paul talks about a thorn in the flesh. Some think it could be um, an eye problem, but we simply don't know. But what's interesting is that the word here that is used, it's the only time this word is used in the New Testament, the word thorn. And it's the word for anything pointed. You know, a fish hook, (laughs) a splinter, a thorn. I could think of a few more things, but they probably didn't have protractors at the time. But that's what my mind thinks of when I think of something like that. But if we look in the Old Testament... Each time this word is used in the Greek version of the Old Testament, it relates to something which frustrates and causes trouble. And of course, we see that here as well, don't we? We see Paul ask three times for this thorn to be removed. He talks about this thorn tormenting him. And he talks about Satan being the one who is allowing, who, who is allowed to torment Paul in this way. So why? Why does Paul have this thorn in the flesh? Well, let me just uh, think about those words that I just said about Satan there. Because when we look in Scripture, whenever we see Satan tormenting someone in this way, such as Job in the Old Testament, Satan only has as much power as he's allowed because Jesus has won the victory. It's like here, this act of of Satan is used by God to to help Paul stay centred on Jesus, to serve God, to keep spiritually well-balanced, if you like. 
Paul tells us, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. I guess Paul has recognized that he could have easily become spiritually conceited. You know, think about all that he'd gone through, even the sufferings. You know, Jesus has specifically called him, and he'd been so effective in reaching many people for Christ. He could easily have become conceited. Yet this thorn in the flesh is a reminder to him of who it's all about. And that he needed to completely rely on God. And I was thinking about that from a personal experience. And, and I remember when I was once, the first time I ever uh, led a session at a New Wine Leadership Conference. And uh, there were about 300 church leaders in the room. And um, I'd, I'd led um, after the, the sung worship and I'd said a prayer. And then I introduced the uh, speaker who happened to be the person who headed up new, uh, who headed up Vineyard in the whole of the UK. And I, you know, introduced her and then I went and sat down. And then she got up on the platform and she said, before we go any further, I'm thinking, uh-oh. And she said, Eleanor, would you stand up? I'm thinking, oh. So I stood up. Um, I was sitting in a chair like there. And um, she gave me this word of prophecy in front of 300 fellow church leaders. And this word of prophecy was that there would be a spotlight getting bigger on me. And loads of people came up to me afterwards, after the, the session and after all 300 people had prayed for me in that moment uh, um, and um, said, oh yes, I think that's really true, that's right. And I was sat with my colleague at the time and he whispered to me, he said, beware, that could make you really big-headed. That could make you conceited because of those words. I could feel that in me. I don't necessarily know whether that, uh, that word was true or not, but I know that I need to be aware that it could make me conceited. It was so easy to be tempted in that, so easy. And for Paul, this thorn reminded him of what and who was important. So what was the outcome for Paul? Well, we see Paul here recognizing that it's God's grace that is sufficient. We read these words that Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And the fact is, when we are weak, God's power is at work in us. That seems completely the opposite of how it should be, doesn't it? But of course, when we acknowledge this, it leads us to rely not on our own strength, but on God's. Maybe we can all think of times when we've tried to do things in our own strength. And it's not quite worked in the way that we wanted it to. Yet when we say, God, please help me, it's amazing how those little words make a difference. I've recently had COVID. And if you hear my voice is a little bit lower than normal, that is why. And I still haven't got my sense of taste and smell back. And I'm getting annoyed with that now, I have to admit. Um, and um, I had to um, write this sermon on Thursday. 
and I was really tired and I was going to stay with some friends who were going to look after me and um, actually when I stayed with my friends I slept for 22 hours in two days which suggests I was tired and that's what Covid does isn't it everyone says that and everyone's saying you must rest and all of this and so somehow I had to write a sermon when I was tired when if I'm honest I didn't really want to because I was tired and I could have tried to do it all in my own strength and to begin with I did and I sat down there at my computer and I started typing and and after a while I re- read these verses and I went oh yeah I should probably listen to this shouldn't I I should probably read these words and remember that God's grace is sufficient for me don't need to do it in my own strength we don't need to do things in our own strength because we have the grace of God at work in us and I wonder whether maybe today you're in that place that you are tempted to do things in your own strength which in some ways if we think about it is boasting in our own abilities isn't it here Paul makes it very clear that in in our weakness well actually what happens is God can fully and truly be at work I love the phrase that Paul uses he says therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me what a beautiful way of putting it so that Christ's power may rest on me a better translation might be dwell in or reside on rather than rest on I love the image of Christ's power dwelling in me in my weakness it's a little bit like I'm plugging into him you know maybe I've been trying to work like a, a battery powered thing um, and then I suddenly realize that the battery's going and I need to plug the USB port in or plug it into the you, you know what I mean that sense that actually sometimes we need to plug into God to recognize his power at work in us And the outcome for Paul is that he's able to boast in his weaknesses precisely because he knows that in that weakness, God is at work by his grace. Whether those weaknesses are the way that he is treated by others, whether that's the thorn in his flesh, he has learned that the power of Christ will rest on him or dwell in him through it. Interestingly, other translations describe Paul as being content in his weaknesses. I never noticed that before. Maybe that's something that speaks to some of us. To be content in your weaknesses, that doesn't mean we don't work at them, but it means that we can sit where we are, knowing God's grace, allowing him to be at work. Paul says, therefore I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. So I wonder what that says to you this evening. Well, we probably all feel weak in very different ways. And I wonder as you're sitting here, what you're thinking about, your your weaknesses that you are aware of. And it might be really hard to do. I know whenever I've had interviews and or job applications, In some ways, it it feels a bit weird thinking about my weaknesses when I'm trying to get a job. But what are your weaknesses? What is God saying to you this evening? Maybe you have a thorn in your flesh 
This evening isn't necessarily about saying, well, let's get rid of those weaknesses or let's get rid of that thorn. It's about actually being content in that place to know that God can use us even in that weakness. It's a wonderful passage, this. It's a wonderful reminder that it's not about us trying to do everything in our own strength. Because in our weaknesses, God's power, God's grace is at work in us. So I just want to spend a bit of time really praying for us in these moments as we maybe reflect on what our weaknesses are. Those things that we're aware of, those things that we're not. Maybe you do have a thorn in your flesh. And so I want to just spend some time praying. So I wonder if I could invite you, if you're willing, to stand with me, just because it helps us to get into a different posture sometimes. So just for a moment, I just want to encourage you to maybe picture that weakness that you've been thinking about this evening. It might be um, something specific. It might not be. And to say to God, in my weakness, you are strong. Help me to rely on your grace. might also be this evening that you're here thinking yes I relate to Paul in that sense of I've been through so much I maybe can't list as many things but I know that I have been treated badly because I've stood up for you Lord Lord God reminds us that his grace is sufficient And so I pray for you this evening that you will know that abundant grace. That you will know God's peace and God's presence with you by his spirit. And maybe it's that you will recognize that you have this thorn in the flesh, something that in lots of ways you'd just like to pluck out. But maybe God is saying to you this evening, My grace is sufficient for you. Thank you, Lord, that in our weaknesses, you are strong. When we acknowledge that we are weak, we can know that we are strong because of your grace, which is sufficient. Help us to be content in the places that we are in now, that we may know you at work in us, not that we may boast about ourselves, but we may boast in Christ. For in Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Going to uh, sing together our final song, which is all about who God says 
we are. And I do want to say, if there's anything particular 